Check the program. 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 Welcome to Check the Program, a physically distanced coronavirus protected podcast for the changing cast of arts enthusiasts who saw a need for more arts coverage in the city and decided to do something about it. From Fairfield, I'm Sarah Petrescu. From Quadra Village, I'm Amanda Farrell Lowe. From Harris Green, I'm Tim Ford. From Blankensop, I'm Brianna Bach. From Deep in Fernwood, I'm John Thrillpaul. From Not So Deep in Fernwood, I'm Melanie Trump-Hoover. And from Chinatown, it's Brit Small. Before we start, we'd like to acknowledge that uh, Check the Program is recorded on the traditional territories of the Coast Salish peoples, the Lekwungen, Songhees, and Esquimalt First Nations, and that much of the arts we discuss is created and performed here. And uh, tonight we're going to be talking to uh, Brit Small of Atomic Vaudeville. We're going to be talking with Janet Munsell, who's got uh, a new thing going on called the Canadian Play Thing. And then we're going to just be talking a bit about what's going on in the city these days and where you can see it from the comfort of your own home. Yeah, what's going on indeed. Um, things have really changed since we last got together. And in the era, new era of COVID-19 and physical distancing, I, it's easy to say that few sectors have been harder hit than the arts. But uh, as we've seen, it's the arts that have really rallied together to bring music, theater, and performance more directly into our homes in these challenging times. And they've been adapting their practices into new formats. Local performance company, Atomic Vaudeville, known for both its long-running cabaret series and award-winning plays like Legoland and Ride the Cyclone, is one of those companies. Artistic producer Britt Small is here to talk about their experience producing their first ever digital cabaret, Sometimes When We Touch, which was released mid-April. So welcome, Britt. Hi there. Hi. <laughs> um, so thanks for coming on the show. And uh, I think most of us had the pleasure of watching your cabaret, which was uh, super fun. And uh, I think all of us were kind of chatting about it before and how it still kind of felt like an atomic vaudeville show in a way. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, I think like the short form, you know, obviously everyone's really used to that and kind of the chaotic humor and, you know, some of the conventions that we've used in the past, some familiar faces and yeah. Yeah, so it did kind of feel like that. I'm, but I am really curious of, yeah, like what you guys thought or um, how it made you feel. One thing I've always appreciated about Vaudeville is that it really reflects what's going on uh, net right now. And um, while I've really loved a lot of the art and things I've been consuming right now during this whole crazy time, not a lot of it has reflected what's been happening. And that's what I liked about what you folks did was right. it actually was really contemporary. So I think that's what I appreciated the most about it. Was I think I, one of the things I liked about it is that it was contemporary. Yes. As in it was commenting on the crazy situation we're in, but it was contemporary also in that it was still lampooning the stuff we're seeing in popular culture, like the tiger King skit. Like that was great because it didn't really have anything to do with what's going on right now. But it's a thing that a lot of people are watching, and it was prime Atomic Bonville to have that parodied. Yeah. Yeah, that was Eddie Wilson. And um, that was, like, purely her own mind and her own. And she reached out to me and said, 
do you want to include this? And I said, yes, <laughs> yes, definitely. Has there ever been a better character for drag? Than oh Joe's my daughter, goodness, so. yeah, yeah. The dogs? The dogs. <laughs> the ugliest tigers yeah. ever yeah. to be. Yeah. No, I just realized when, when you said like Joe Exotic's a great uh, person for drag, it's just like how many drag personas of Joe Exotic are we going to see in the future, do you think? Yeah, no kidding. There are so <laughs> many drag queens sitting at home right now going, ah! <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. I'll just no, right, John. Uh, that blend of, of um, you know, the kind of serious feelings of isolation being explored um, and the love letter to Teresa Tan that Sarah Murphy ukuleleed in, in her shower combined with the just usual zeitgeisty weird shit that's happening it was that's that's what really made it feel like a cabaret um right. like in the victoria event center like any other cabaret which was really yeah refreshing like you said amanda having that um truly kind of time stamped moment in art uh, available to us. i wanted to echo what amanda said at the beginning that uh what i enjoyed so much about this was that it was very purpose built for uh what's happening right now and so many of the creators tapped into, uh, like John said, you know, pop culture stuff, but also just a general sort of sense of the mood. Uh, you know, uh, more than any of the other works I've sort of seen online streaming these days, this work really spoke to the kind of sensation and emotions that, you know, I'm experiencing. And I think a lot of people are experiencing where there's a balance between like, you want to keep having fun, you want to keep your spirits up, but inside, uh, you kind of want to scream, you know? <laughs> Uh, and there was that moment where you had like just a series of like primal screams and I was like, yep, that's real. That's very real. <laughs> yeah. I appreciate yeah. that very much. Yeah. yeah. Very cathartic, I found. Um, and one of the things I love about vaudeville is, and this is part of the lot, you know, going to a live show is you're always a bit nervous. You're like, oh, is there going to be something really <laughs> like, you know, t is it too soon or? <laughs> right, right, right. Um, and so I guess it's a bit of a risk when you're putting it online because it sort of lives there in that moment. Yeah. Uh, but having that too soon made it cathartic because we're all in that experience right now. And even like, I loved the Fernwood survivor. Right. <laughs> so funny. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Laugh so hard at that. And while yeah. I was laughing at it, I was like, why am I laughing at this? This is so <laughs> Yeah. Like, you find yourself reacting to things on an emotional level because we're going through something similar, which I don't know if. if in theater or in arts is there another comparison where all of society is going through something kind of similar um, no. <laughs> and then experiencing art at the same time that is reflecting on that like it's very i hope a lot of people play with that because it's pretty interesting yeah i mean it, it really felt for me i felt like i wanted to document this moment because um, a lot of what I've been reading and sort of tapping into is I feel like we're kind of between stories right now and that there's a real potential for change and um, like I really want change and I think um, I was remembering I used to be really into Marshall McLuhan <laughs> and Marshall McLuhan talked a lot about how it sometimes seems like artists are prescient but they're not it's just that their work is uh, kind of trades and change. And so you're kind of, you become more and more comfortable with the idea of change. And so therefore you're truly often living right in the moment and you're helping other people kind of adapt to that moment. A lot of the times to are bringing people kind of in a more gentle way into 
the present moment and, you know, the things that are evolving and changing. And so in some ways I was like, is this moment not built for us <laughs> as artists, as kind of being stewards in some way to, to try to, um, yeah, make it like not as painful maybe. And to, you know, remind people that like, we're all together in this, we're not alone because I think that's what the, a big thing right now is loneliness. And I know like, I'm an only child. I'm used to being by myself, but I have moments where I'm like, what the, like, you know, it's just a lot of introspection, sometimes too much. And so it was really nice to have a project to focus on. And it was nice to, like, I felt like we were all together. We actually all Zoomed together and watched it when we, I didn't even watch it before we released it. Like, I, I mean, I had seen all the different parts individually, but I hadn't watched it all together because we just wanted to release it at the time that we said. And so we all watched it well like there's about I think 12 of us in a zoom meeting all watching it and like we were laughing and crying and just seeing everybody else's work and being so surprised by it and just so delighted and seeing people with their families and also kind of being forced to find creativity like in a smaller space because you know I think um and like and I'm glad there is those like kind of larger pop cultural touchstones but I also think that you know, we can get like, you know, how much money does everybody spend every year watching Marvel movies? And like, and you know, as opposed to like going to see the person next door who like is probably doing the coolest thing that you don't even know. Like I went to a music festival in Nanaimo this summer called the Sinker Festival. And the poster, you just list people's houses that you go to. And it was like the most incredible festival. They were like down by the river. That was like one of the venues. And it was like one of the most inspired, like incredible music um, experiences that I had ever had. And so, yeah, I was just kind of delighted to see everyone because I thought that, you know, all the bits weren't completely referential either. They were about people's kind of experiences, like, um, yeah, like the board screams. That, and everyone was like, I got one of those. I can do one of those. Or just asking everyone to dance to a specific track. And they were like, what kind of dance? I was like, dance so that you feel good. Like, just, you know, I want you to feel good. And, um, and yeah, we just decided one of the things we talked about was just don't be precious about it anything let's just figure out later what we meant by it and just kind of get it down right now and 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 yeah and I think it also felt healing for us to be able to focus on something and um yeah make something happen in the midst of all of us going oh this is canceled that's canceled and as we were doing it more and more things got canceled and things became more and more serious and more permanent and all of a sudden we're like Okay, so right now we know pretty much everything's canceled through to August, but then what after that? You know, like, are we going to do Rocky Horror this year? Like, I don't know. Um, so I was like, well, maybe we start a production company and online. I don't know. But I think, you know, as artists, we also are pretty good at adapting to different circumstances and kind of rolling with the punches. Is You know, it's part of what, like, we're supposed to do and is adapt and, yeah, help people through change. So, yeah, it just felt like kind of, it just felt right. And it felt, the whole thing felt really organic and it happened very quickly. Like from our first Zoom meeting until the time it came out, I think was like less than three weeks. Like it was like two and a half weeks or something. You, you said that uh, the process was similar to putting the actual cabaret together. And yeah. that sort of surprised you. Can you talk a bit about that? Sure. Yeah. Like often when we do the cabarets, we'll either have a title, a theme, or some basic kind of idea, and we'll have a pitch meeting, and everyone will gather, 
And um, often it's been Alex in the past, who's been the showrunner, but it, you know, it's been Jacob, it's been myself, it's been Taylor. And we'll kind of talk about some of the basic ideas we have, and then we'll see what everybody else is thinking about. And often we encourage people to, it's actually better sometimes that people do things that are not on theme, because if everyone's working around the main storyline or the main theme, then everything can feel kind of similar. So it's more just to give people an idea of where we're going with everything. And then, you know, people pitch different ideas. And, and then after that, people work on whatever they work on. Sometimes things get mentioned, they never get touched again. And we kind of just leave it up to people if they want to put the energy into it. Or sometimes at those pitch meetings, people will hear somebody else's idea and say, oh, hey, I'd really like to collaborate with you on that. Or, you know, people find different partnerships. And, and in the Zoom meeting, that's kind of what happened too is, uh, um, after, I mean, when we decided to do it, <laughs> we did like our first trailer where everyone just recorded random things. And that all happened in the period of three days. I was like, film yourself for 10 seconds, whatever. Doesn't matter. Do it. We put it together. That was that. And then after I saw it, I thought, I think I want Kelly and Bo to be sort of the through line because like he's a little superstar and probably the most adorable child I've ever seen in my life. And he's just so precocious and amazing. And she's funny. And anyway, so I just thought they'd be a good um, kind of duo and he could react to things. And I also thought that maybe it could have a strange Wizard of Oz feel like that it was um, some strange journey. And at the end, they would discover that someone really wasn't who they said it would be. And, you know, Jimbo showed up in that costume. And I'm like, I think you're the virus. And um, <laughs> And uh, so, you know, there, there was a very, very loose kind of frame there that I knew I wanted to keep inserting Kelly and Bo throughout. And then everyone just talked about various ideas in the meeting and uh, some of them came to fruition, some of them didn't. Other things got, you know, people suddenly said, I had a completely different idea and submitted something completely different. We had two different sets of deadlines um, and people still submitted things after the deadline and we fit it in if we could. I just didn't want anyone to be stressed out on top of anything else. So we tried to keep things pretty like loose. And I was like, if at the end of the day, you don't come up with anything, like no problem. We're probably going to do it again. And just like wanting people to take care of their own mental health and wanting it to be something that felt positive for them and not stressful and not like, I have to get this thing, but you know, that could, you know, possibly create some joy. And also, you know, we were all learning different, like I'd used iMovie before, but never to this degree and never. So we were all learning all these different skills too, as we were doing it. And, um, and then, yeah. And then once, uh, it was like primarily Taylor and myself and, uh, Pedro, Pedro used to be a CCPA student. He's from Brazil and, um, he's kind of like stuck here right now. And of course he has no work and, you know, he's in sort of a very strange place, but he's an incredible editor too. So we worked with him on some of the editing as well. Some people edited their own stuff. And so we got things in all kinds of different formats, which is very similar to vaudeville as well as people submit things. Sometimes they're like half baked. Sometimes they're just an idea, but things were really all over the place in terms of how they were put together. And um, some of the stuff we just left because we sort of liked it raw and other stuff. Um, Pedro put a little bit of magic dust on and, you know, created some interesting editing and, uh, and then, yeah, after I saw everything, we added a few little bits. The very ending we filmed, like, at 7 p.m. on the, like, four hours before we released it. So, um, which is very similar to vaudeville is, I mean, if you've ever been there on the first night, we don't open the doors on time. It's because we're still rehearsing the, the final number for the show. So, yeah, it was all, so a lot of those things felt kind of similar. And also just with it, like, 
yeah, not being too pressure precious and saying just like, get it out. Let's just get it out. We, we were going to call the show shout out at one point and, um, but yeah, but we just thought, yeah, let's just kind of throw it out there, get it out there. And I think, you know, our uh, vaudeville shows often have that same feeling in a way that we just kind of spit it out as a response to where we are right now. What's the response been like? Are you, are you getting lots of people? The, yeah, the biggest response has been from other artists saying, I want in. And so <laughs> now we've got this growing list. And of course, it's our 15 year anniversary coming up. So I was trying to make a list. I was like, oh my God, this would be epic. But um uh, yeah, so a lot of it was from other artists and people who are like, I'd say like artists ad adjacent to like, like, you know, friends of people who want to participate. And um, so, yeah, we're thinking of different ways to do that through our Atomic Vaudeville YouTube channel so that we can still release these big projects that are set up to be viewed in that way, but that we can also release small bits if people want to continue working on those some of them may fit into the show some of them may not but just a place where people can kind of release content that everyone still owns themselves it's not like you know we're going to own all that material people still own their individual stuff but it could be a centralized place for people to go to to see what a community of artists is up to and if you know of course we're connected to like you know the music communities and visual arts community and drag and burlesque and all that too so um, yeah, it could be kind of like a gathering place, a sort of online agora <laughs> for people to show what they're doing and, um, you know, possibly develop something online that may continue to survive after this. I mean, who knows right now, but it feels like one way to communicate. So, yeah. Um, you know, normally you do this down at the event center, which is like 250 people a night. So your audience capacity is, you know, somewhat limited for each uh, episode of Vaudeville that you do. Um, does this represent a chance, like an opportunity to grow that audience outside of Victoria and into the wider world and, you know, possibly show it to hundreds, if not thousands of people? Yeah, definitely. And like we've often had people, like if people have been visiting here or something and, you know, they've seen it and then they'll ask me like, do you have a video of this particular bit? Like we did this bit on Jordan Peterson one time eating lobster. It was like, so funny but this guy said he's like i always am having this argument with this guy about jordan peterson i just want him to see this bit that you guys did because it explains it better than i ever could and so but we didn't you know we didn't have it kind of recorded and i mean we do video we have an archive of all of our shows for our own you know kind of historical reference i guess but um you know we rarely film things for other people to see but the, and it's funny because we didn't really go into like nothing in this show was anything that we'd really done before. Like we did pull scripts that we'd done before. It was all kind of people's original new content. Um, but we thought there's a ton of stuff that we could go to and adapt it or change it. And that's what kind of felt really cool about this project is that it didn't feel like we were doing a vaudeville show and putting it online. We were like, let's, what is this medium? and how does it work and you know, how will it translate? So yeah, it kind of felt like some kind of adaptation into a new form. And I think with doing that, um, yeah, it is possible to kind of reach more people, which is really exciting. And perhaps, you know, get support through Patreon or donations or whatever it is to help support that way. And um, yeah, cause it really feels like a different art form in a way. And I was like, maybe we've just, maybe virtual vaudeville is the new form like i don't know but like it, it almost felt like a new art form in a way as opposed to it being like theater translated or something and i think we're still figuring out what that is or you know how it works or what 
the potential of it is, but I know we want to keep doing it. Everyone's really excited to keep doing it. So, and I like the other thing I really felt is like, like if I wasn't from Victoria and I watched that show, I'd be like, I want, I want to move to Victoria. <laughs> yeah, just, yeah, the, sure. just the amount of like amazing people doing such individual and sort of like gentle stuff as well, but just like, I don't know, to me it just spoke really well of this place and the kind of the feeling that it is to live here and certainly the feeling I have of kind of community. And um, so that felt really kind of beautiful and a way to kind of go, you know, a kiss from Victoria to the world too. So, yeah. Um, yeah. Speaking of support um, as an artist through this, are you feeling supported like by <laughs> outside of your community or like, have you seen this was like feeling supported before. So, uh, yeah. <laughs> um, uh, I mean, like we've only had one project canceled so far, which is, uh, well, Two because we were going we were touring Hedwig to the mainland this year, um, which got cancelled, of course. Then our local production of Hedwig got cancelled, which you know we may still do something with Griffin online because he's so amazing, but we have to figure out what the rights, how that works with that. So um yeah, in terms of like cancellation for our projects, obviously that's a huge part of it. And I think even if this lockdown stops, I think that people are gonna be slow to venture out again you know what I mean in the same ways that they have been or who knows maybe there'll be an explosion so I'm not sure but um, certainly the Canada Council like they actually because a few years ago we received um, uh, four years of automatic funding from them so we we're one of the companies that got kind of this um, it's like a four-year grant and so they actually called us and wanted to know if they could help if it would facilitate us if they released funds early how we were adapting. So it, it seems to me like, you know, the, the arts organizations run by the government are really responding. I think it's, it's a hard time to ask other beings for money. Like not a lot of people have donated or anything like that. And I think I understand like there's a, people have a lot of responsibilities right now and people are worried about their own finances. So it, it seems like a strange time to be asking people potentially for, you know, personal donations. Um, but I think that there are opportunities to reach out to different business organizations, which we've really been trying to do in the past few years. We formed an alliance with Viatech. And so in some ways, maybe this will create different kinds of opportunities and different funding models that could come about through it. So, um, but yeah, I mean, I think people have been really, like certainly individuals have been hugely supportive in terms of like, you know, lending items or saying what do you need or like just on a personal level. But I mean, there's, I, I feel really bad for the Victoria Event Center because like they're a venue that their whole purpose is for gathering. Like how are they going to pay their rent? And um, I wasn't um, speaking to them directly, but through somebody else who said like, you know, they're thinking of trying to do something. And I'm like, like what? Like, yeah. <laughs> you know, because like in this time they're really in a, in a hard place. Like there's just no way they're going to be able to make their rent. So um, I think like the venues themselves are probably, you know, really having a tough time. Um, but uh, yeah, like, you know, I feel really bad for the students who this was their final year and, you know, I'd been working all year to have a project happen at the end and then not be able to do that, you know, not be able to get up on the main stage and do like their fine after four years or five years sometimes. So I think that's really heartbreaking um, for a lot of the students who've been working. I mean, a lot of projects will just be postponed as far as like, from what I've seen, a lot of people are just pushing their seasons a year into the future. 
So, um, you know, those projects will still exist. And, you know, the government seems to be trying to respond to, you know, people who are more in like a gig economy, which frankly, most people are now, right? So I think it's, you know, ultimately it's just revealing a lot. And, um, you know, I feel pretty fortunate. I don't feel like we've been hit super, super hard. And we're trying to come up with, um, uh, you know, instead of the money we would have invested in Headwake, we're investing in this online project right now so we can still pay artists and still, even if they're little bits here and there, but like every little bit is going to count for people. So, um, yeah. And also just like, yeah, support more local stuff. So that's great. Yeah. I think we all really enjoyed the cabaret. It was the thing I didn't know I needed. <laughs> yeah, okay. yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah. And the thing we didn't know we were going to do. So it's funny because we'd actually gone down to doing two vaudeville shows a year, like the Halloween one and the New Year's one, because we found that our spring cabaret never sold well. And the summer was always a really tough time to get people there. And uh, so, yeah, we pretty much decided now it looks like we're going to actually be doing four this year because we just did that one. And we're going to be doing another one in about a month that'll come out in May. So, um, yeah, <laughs> we're actually doing more work now in some strange way. Well, thanks, Britt, and uh, we appreciate you coming on the show. And so how can people check out the cabaret if they haven't seen it yet? Uh, they can go to atomicvaudeville.com. Uh, yeah, go there, atomicvaudeville.com. Great. Thanks, Britt Small of Atomic Vaudeville. Thank you, oh, guys. You guys. Nice to see all Hi, your beautiful faces. You. Yep. Yeah, oh, and you guys have a Patreon too, right? We do. We have a Patreon, and there's, yeah, on our website, there's a link to the Patreon and to the Donate and um, all the money goes back to the artists. So uh, everyone would right. really appreciate that, even a little bit here and there. So yeah, thank you. Awesome. Okay. Awesome. Bye. Thanks. Bye. Bye. Well, it's interesting what Britt was saying about uh, doing new work versus archived work, because I think a lot of what we're seeing right now is uh, archived work, like uh, stuff that's out there from companies mm -hmm. that uh, are releasing their sort of back catalog for people to see, whether it's the uh, the national things like uh, National Theatre Live or uh, some of the things that Canada Performs has been doing, National Arts Centre, or uh, some of the more local things. Yeah, uh, so who wants to go first? What have people watched that uh, they've liked? I've been Facebook living a whole lot of drag and it's a, an art form that lends itself really well. I mean, it's being created in the moment too, so it's less that archival work, um, but but going into these drag superstars living rooms, very well lit living rooms, by the way, <laughs> um, and lip syncing and shimmying and, you know, incredible kind of persona work lends itself really well, I find, to, to being created on the spot and, and in a virtual environment. And so we've got um, some local, local drag superstars who've been pretty prolific, actually. Uh, Vivian Vanderpuss um, has been in some kind of larger West Coast cabarets, as well as some more intimate stuff. Um, she performed with Wolfie Goldberg in a screen-to-screen -screen duet last week that I really enjoyed. And I think the, the, um, that community in particular, we already referenced um, some drag that was part of the Atomic Bobville cabaret as well. I think there's a lot more coming coming down the pipe in the next few weeks that way too. And it's, it's really fun. So if you haven't, it's not the same as seeing drag in real life, certainly. Uh, you don't have the cheering crowds around you you're a one-person cheer show but um it's uh i keep an eye out on what's coming in the future because it's been really fun so far uh, i've been checking out a mix of uh, local stuff 
Canadian stuff, um, international things, music a lot, some theater, um, and uh, you know everything from uh, we've been watching Mr. Doug's Playhouse uh, morning every morning at nine o'clock kids show uh, from a friend in Seashell does a online. Um, live kids show and music and skits and and gives a shout out to all the kids who are watching um, and that's been great in the evenings I keep uh, checking out uh, local musician Sandy Palak who also goes by Lola Parks is does a uh, five songs at 555 and I really enjoyed that she's a great uh, singer guitar player songwriter um, MLA Nick Simons also on the Sunshine Coast, where I'm from, uh, has been doing Saturday night concerts. He's a cellist and um, has had different guests come. So that's been great. All sorts of DJs on Instagram. I've been watching them um, catching just, it seems like there's always something on. Um, I watched the big Elton John show. I don't know if anyone saw it. Gonna watch the David Foster show. Caught a bit of Showcase BC today. Um, I don't know if you guys have checked out Ryan Heffington on Instagram, kind of like a hippie fitness dancer, who's quite hilarious. I saw Fleabag uh, live at Soho Theater. Yeah, it's, if, I've actually never seen such a mixed bag of things just because you're like, oh, that's on, that's happening. And it's pretty interesting. So yes, yeah, it's, it's, it's a different world, it's neat. Yeah, I agree. The the volume of stuff that's out there right now is just is kind of overwhelming because, you know, probably like many people, you know, we're watching series of things as well. Like, you know, there's TV series we follow. But then suddenly there's this flourishing of all this other stuff, too. And it's mm -hmm. I feel like I don't have enough time to just sit around and watch things. Uh, but I have enjoyed. I watched uh, Catherine Calder. Uh, City of Victoria Artists and Residence. I watched her house concert that she did recently, which was lovely. Mm -hmm. uh, I watched, um, I've participated in, which is going to be very interesting, tomorrow night's Rock for Relief concert. Uh, I'm in the choir, so the choir is participating in that. There's, I think there's going to be 80 of us who we all had to individually record our parts and then, you know, videotape ourselves or use our iPhones to tape ourselves and then send that in and it all gets mixed together into this massive choir number. So it'll be interesting to be part of one of these online concerts that I've been watching as well. Uh, oh, yeah. I saw Dan Manga's show, which was great. I remember hearing in high school about virtual choirs run by one guy. I can't remember who it was, but they were a big deal and they had like people from like all over the world audition and like have their thing like submitted and put together. It's pretty that's interesting. Cool that it's, yeah, they're still being put together like that. Yeah. So my choir, we rehearse every week through Zoom. So we have, you know, 60, 65, 70 people who all Zoom in at the same time and we all rehearse together. We can't hear each other because that would just be mayhem, but we are still practicing like a choir and it is a good community bonding thing. And uh, shout out to Mark Jenkins, the leader of the choir and the chorus, uh, the two YYJ choirs here. And he's really putting a lot of work into keeping those two groups of people, 150 odd people, connected with those two choirs. It's pretty fantastic. That'll be interesting visually to see too, like how they present that. I have no idea what they're gonna do. Like I have no idea. And it was just crazy to record my part because I had to record basically like five takes of myself 
until I got all the lyrics right and I was more or less on pitch. And then, you know, having to watch five takes of myself, just singing my part, it was pretty weird all the way around. Did you do Man in Motion? No, we did uh, with a little help from your friends. Okay. No. That's <laughs> fitting. What, uh, so uh, the shows I checked out uh, yeah. from local artists were archival uh, pieces. Uh, Outpost 31 featured uh, David Ellendoon. I hope I'm pronouncing that right. Uh, his show Sherlock Holmes and the Curse of Moriarty. Um, the nice thing about this setup was that they did have archival footage where they actually had multiple angles. Uh, they'd shot it with decent cameras um, and they had an audience, uh, which is sort of like a, a key thing to kind of trying to replicate, you know, the theater experience when you have an archival footage. So uh, all in all, uh, it was nice to see that kind of thing. The show itself, um, if you're a Sherlock Holmes fan, uh, this is hardly the work of like purists. Uh, <laughs> I'm used to like, yeah, well, I'm used to lots of like, uh, you know, like I've, I've read an anthology where it was Sherlock Holmes versus like the cult of Cthulhu kind of thing. So mm. I'm used to some pretty out there stuff with Sherlock. So uh, this work in particular blends uh, Sherlock Holmes with a certain famous literary work, which I don't really want to give away. If you are going to watch it, all I can say is that uh, it is period appropriate. Uh, it is a wild ride. Uh, and if you're the type of person who's open to that kind of thing where you, you're like, Sherlock is just a fun character. Let's place him in wacky situations and see what happens. I think you'll get a kick out of it. Um, so that's a lot of fun. Yeah, the other archival piece I saw was Clayton Jevney's One Man Hamlet. Oh, uh, sure. So uh, this was actually a recording from 2011. Um, and this is the 20th anniversary of this show he made, uh, a One Man Hamlet show. Um, I've seen a few, you know, like one man Shakespeare shows over the years. Uh, Henry V actually was really wild one. Richard III as well. Uh, this is the first time I've seen a one man Hamlet and uh, he does a lot of really fun things with it. Um, makes use of music stands for a lot of like human presences. It's like this ubiquitous tool every theater artist goes to is like a music stand. So I quite enjoyed that. Um, the tops of the heads are represented by balloons. Yeah, the balloons. Uh, yeah. <laughs> As the and characters you can imagine. die. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it just becomes this great popping massacre, you know. Uh, everybody knows how Hamlet ends, so I, I, I don't think I have to worry about spoilers there. Uh, but again, you know, what I appreciated about the way this was shot and everything, uh, the way it was presented, was that they were smart enough to know that, like, with the sense of scale that uh, he was going for, that Jevney was trying to replicate on stage with things like puppets. Uh, they went in for like close-ups and stuff. So you get to see actually uh, what's going on in small scenes. He, he brings out um, these puppets for smaller scale pieces. Like when Ophelia is relating Hamlet's mood, uh, when the ghost is describing how he was murdered uh, by his brother, by Claudius. Um, so it's a wonderful little thing to check out. Uh, Jevney's performance is so energetic and uh, by virtue of the, you know, uh, medium, by virtue of it being one man, it has a kind of frenetic energy that gives it a, a sense of comedy, but he actually finds a lot of the dramatic moments too. I was very impressed with like how he actually took moments to slow it down and to find like the tragedy of the, sh of the show. So definitely check it out if you can. You watch that one on YouTube. Yeah, you know, I've seen it live a couple of times. Um, and uh, it's exhausting, for one thing, to see it live, just watching Clayton do it. 
And but you're right, you're right. You know, he could have just played it for last, but the fact that he does find those moments of of high tragedy in it, and he still reaches the audience on that emotional level. It's one of the strengths of his production. And it's always fun just to hear a whole bunch of balloons popping at the end. Of I've been checking out a lot of music mostly. Um, and I think my favorite music stream that I checked out was uh, the Easter Monday Yacht Rock stream, uh, which was, uh, it was uh, Neil from Righteous Rainbows and Astro Color and um, Nathan Picaroon. Anyway, they did three a three hour stream of Yacht Rock, which is like this, 70s kind of like smooth rock uh on uh on yeah it was easter sunday i guess and uh it was great they he was dressed in as they're like just dressed up one of them was in like a house coat the other guy was dressed in like a sailor's outfit and lying on a couch djing (laughs) and it was awesome it was like the perfect like end to my my Easter Sunday after cooking a big meal and yeah and it was just like so so awesome and it's been interesting to just see the different um mediums people have been using through this whole thing to stream um like some people are using zoom to broadcast some people are using youtube a lot of the music streams are using twitch which is a platform that was traditionally used by um like gamers video gamers um which uh I find it to be interesting because the chat function is usually so, so active in that one. So you are interacting with your audience a lot there. Um, yeah. So that's one thing I found really interesting throughout this whole thing too, is just the different ways that people are choosing to broadcast their stuff. I wanted to mention with Twitch as well. Um, if you're interested in local acts uh, that have been using Twitch for a long time, local comedy troupe loading ready run has been yeah. using Twitch uh, religiously for years now. And, uh, they smoothly transitioned from, uh, you know, putting sketch comedy on YouTube to just doing their streams live now on Twitch. Uh, but they keep their sketch comedy alive through this variety show that they do. I think it's every three weeks. I could be wrong about that, but uh, they just released a recent one. Uh, and this is all done live. Uh, they do a whole bunch of different, like, you know, setups that they have, things like a fake game show and stuff. Uh, you can check out their whole thing, um, their whole uh, bevy of videos online, loadingreadyrun.com. They're a lot of fun. So if you're interested in what Twitch has uh, to offer, they're great. Check, check out. And they're sort of, uh, you know, unacknowledged veterans of the local comedy scene. Like Lo- Loading Ready Run have been going for so long now. And yeah. uh, I, they just don't get the sort of the higher profile in the city that some of the other comedy groups do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And they've got like sort of tangential relationships to some of the like more well-known folks in the art scene too that we talk to all the time right so yeah, yeah it's it's true they don't really get the credit they deserve in the in the in the art scene we're more familiar with anyway for sure yeah, yeah. brianna what have you been saying uh well i only really saw atomic vaudeville show and it's just but i've been like looking on uh, the theater victoria facebook page a lot of upcoming stuff and it seems like a lot of stuff is like in the works for like end of april sort of like the upcoming unifest and stuff yeah which is i'm, I'm interesting it, it'll be interesting to see what they do with uno fest especially online with like online tickets and stuff and uh but i've mostly been listening to podcasts hmm. overall and what's really interesting is that i don't think anyone's really tried to do anything with podcasts like locally i don't think 
Like, um, like just off the, off the top of my head, there's like a, there's, there's a play me, which will like convert plays to podcasts. Mm. And I recently finished one podcast called fall the house of sunshine, which starts crazy and then just ramps up and doesn't stop. But it's a musical oh. and it's just like, and I've been thinking about like sort of just like podcasts and musicals, especially nowadays. And it'd be really interesting to see if like what people could do with that. I think like you're saying with things coming up in the next month or so, people have spent the last few weeks sort of realizing what's going on, coming to the awareness of how long this might last yeah. and starting to brainstorm. Okay, what can we do? What are we going to do moving forward? And how is that going to all happen? When do you think so people are going to get sick of staring at screens? Like what, what do we think the time limit might be? Or do, do these artists need to keep reinventing what they're doing or, or as Brianna says, you know, move to other mediums besides visual digital to keep people's interests. If this goes on forever, I mean, I've been curious about that. The last, you know, seeing all these things pop up and, and for people, I mean, I'm on maternity leave, so I'm lucky I'm not on a screen all day, but if you guys are zooming all day for work and then zooming all night for your entertainment, at what point, I don't know, do, do the other mediums need to branch out or? Well, yeah, no, no, it's a good point. I mean, one thing I was honestly thinking about the other night was, are we going to see some sort of uh, physically distanced, you know, like a paddleboard uh, arts mm -hmm. thing on paddleboards, you know, could there be yeah. a, a nighttime, like a lantern festival on the water where people are very distant and you can watch it from a multiple places on land. Um, I was just thinking about this because I've recently got a paddleboard and I was like, well, what can I do with this artistically more mm -hmm. than just getting out and paddling on it? Um, so I think there, like you say, there will be things coming forward, but I don't know what they're going to be. Yeah. Site-specific theater lends itself really well. If you can maintain six or so feet between you. There's some amazing work that's been produced in Victoria before. Uh, Lindsay Delaron's whole um, term as uh, the artist in residence for Victoria yeah. and these, these public art pieces. I mean, there's, I don't know at what level the, the social comfort will be being out even in that way apart from each other, but I wonder how soon we get offline too, but still yeah. in this kind yeah, of time that we're in. Even like roving pieces, I have friends who are actors in Vancouver who did sort of experimental theater where it was even one-on-one -on -one performances that visited people's homes or their outside, their stoops or something. Um, I know we've all seen those photos of artists or of photographers going and taking family photos on people's stoops. So I think that would be great. You could get very creative with it. So in the realm of things that uh, we've been watching, one of the things that I've seen a few episodes of now is the Canadian play thing. Um, and that's a playwright-centered virtual theater that shares live readings of new and underproduced Canadian plays online. And it is spearheaded by local playwright Janet Munsell. Uh, a lot of people know her as the former artistic director of Intrepid Theater. Uh, she's recently started teaching playwriting classes up at UVic's writing department. Uh, so this is sort of a natural segue for her. Um, they started this, the Canadian Play thing, they started on March 22nd, and they've already hosted nine live readings. So that's nine live readings in less than a month. And they've got 20 more lined up to come. Uh, oh. Some of them are one acts. Uh, others are full-length plays with intermissions. Um, some have been local artists, people like David Ellendoon, uh, Christopher Van Ritson, Emily Case. Others are playwrights from across the country. 
Uh, they're currently running two to three times a week, and she's got about 130 actors who have signed up to read and take part in these upcoming plays. Um, one thing that's unique about it, the audiences are limited to only 100 people. So it's not streamed to the whole world. It's only 100 people. So it's first come, first serve. Uh, and unlike a real play, you can choose to either stay for the whole show or uh, just a few minutes and catch what's going on. Uh, but while the opportunity to create this may have come from the current health crisis, uh, Munsell says that she's already been thinking about this, uh, especially now that she's been teaching playwrights, which is where our conversation begins. Yes, I've been teaching playwriting. Um, and, you know, based on my involvement with the, the fringe in the past two, people are always asking me, you know, as a playwright, uh, how do I get my work produced? And, you know, I. When I was working at Intrepid, the answer was easy, you know, put the show on yourself and then you'll be able to see it live. Um, uh, but in terms of, you know, getting new plays, especially by emerging playwrights out in front of um, uh, artistic directors of professional theater companies, it's very challenging um, to get a, a play read by an AD. Um, and definitely very challenging for a first-time playwright to get their work uh, fully produced. And to also connect playwrights a little more, because unless you live in Toronto or in maybe in Vancouver, maybe there's a more connected playwright community there, but playwrights don't really get a chance to like hang out together. How do you choose? Like, Do you choose the plays, or do you just put out a call like, hey, who's got a play, or... So playwrights, when they send in the play, they tell me, you know, whether they're uh, first-time playwrights, whether they're sort of emerging professional, or, you know, they've emerged, or they're a national treasure. <laughs> <laughs> so they sort of rate themselves on that scale. And very often I know the playwrights, either they're uh, people that I've worked with, uh, or they're people that I've, you know, been at a retreat in Banff with, or... Um, the, the, those were sort of the early on the people that were were applying, but now we're starting to get more of a of a range. And uh, I just I just program them. Uh, somebody sends in a script, and I send them back an email that says, "Let's pick a date." And do you have um, a set schedule, like uh, twice a week, or is it just sort of at people's convenience? It it's kind of it's starting to look like three times a week. Okay. We do it at the convenience of the playwright, since this is sort of for, for them to hear the play. Um, we're generally doing, for shows that are based uh, in, in BC and Alberta, we're doing uh, weeknight, uh, early evening uh, presentations. And then uh, if they're in Ontario, we have one in Newfoundland coming up on Saturday. So um, those are a matinee performances so that we can have, you know, actors in Vancouver and Toronto um, doing a, a, a matinee out here and an evening show in uh, back east. And uh, am I correct that the audience is limited to 100? Yes. Yeah. So instead of doing a larger platform sort of live stream thing to everyone in the universe, um, I, I'm keeping it a little more like a theater. So the capacity is limited and it's live. We don't we don't record them, so they're not being uh, archived. Um, and at the end of the reading, we um, uh, allow people to uh, kind of come come on screen 
uh, if they want to say hi to people in the cast or uh, discuss the play with the playwright, because the playwright is always there. Well, and I think that's one of the valuable parts of it. Like, not only are you hearing this work that you might not not otherwise have had the chance to hear, but you do have that opportunity to ask questions of the playwright, which is, uh, you know, that's great. Yeah, I think, um, you know, it's it's useful for the playwrights to hear the play, but it's also a way to sort of to support the playwrights and to celebrate their achievements. Um, and... Uh, for for plays that haven't had a production or maybe have had a canceled production, um, you know, it's just a way to experience that play that otherwise is going to be on the shelf for a while because we don't know when we're going to be able to get back together in a theater, when we're going to be able to get together to rehearse a play. We don't know when that's going to be. Hmm. So uh, this is this is a uh, this is definitely a way to keep playwrights kind of. Um, going and to to uh, listen to their work and to make sure that their uh, their profession isn't obsolete <laughs> because their writing is intended to be you know performed live for a group of people you know it's a great way of making a positive contribution and uh, you know making lemonade out of a pretty crappy situation yeah, yeah, I um and I definitely uh, it's it certainly lifted my spirits quite a bit to be involved in um in coordinating it and um getting a chance to sort of reconnect with a lot of people that I've known in in my career in Canadian theater um and and you know uh bringing bringing people together from across the country you haven't met before but uh, have really hit it off, so it, it's it's been really great. It's kind of made the country there's uh, there's many sort of small communities of theater across the country, and they don't they don't mix that much. So it's it's nice to have some kind of point of connection for people, so that we can just all play together. So if you want to sit in on one of the readings, just search for the Canadian Play Thing on Facebook or go to their snazzy new website, which is www.plaything.ca. Great. Thanks, John. And thanks, Janet. And yeah, uh, thanks, Janet. Yeah, an example of something that might not have happened if we hadn't gone through this terrible, terrible thing. Yeah, yeah. And finding a good way, like something good to come out of it, much again, much like what Janet, what uh, Britt was saying, too. Yeah. Um, so... Yeah, as as you were saying before, uh, John and Brianna, it seems like people have been spending the last little while kind of gearing up for to present work over the next little while. So it does seem like we're going to be seeing a lot of live stuff happening in the next few weeks from local companies. Yeah, yeah so what, what have we got coming up? Certainly this weekend alone, we've got... Um, Local legend Charlie Ross is producing his uh, one-man Pride and Prejudice, and he's doing that through uh, the National Arts Centre Canada Perform Series that's happening on Saturday night. Uh, and that's fantastic that we see some local talent involved in this national initiative. Yeah, that's great. Um, and I see Broken Rhythms is doing their newest work, Into the Wire, live online. Uh, it, it's an interesting one in that... Uh, it was, I think, a four or five person piece that was re-choreographed to be a solo show um, within the last week or two. So 
somebody interested in just dance in in this medium in this format will be interesting to consume for sure because there's something for me at least that's um being there in the room live is a is very much part of the experience that an opera um so I'll, I'll be I'll be tuning in and really curious to see if some of the um, if the work translates in that medium. Yeah, I mean it's being performed on April seventeenth, um, which will be after the podcast release, but it is released. But it's uh, on Facebook Live, and often those are archived. So hopefully they uh, archive the performance so that we can watch it after folks who uh, can't be there for the live. Yeah, speaking of opera, Pacific Opera Victoria is doing some kind of interactive live stuff. The um, Friday listening party and uh, I think it's Acoustic Mondays. So that's some pretty interesting. Yeah, acoustic stuff. Afternoons. Acoustic Afternoons, yeah. So definitely check out that. And then I guess the big upcoming is Uno Fest. Um, and I'm, I'm really interested to see how that works. You can buy individual or tickets for week one or week two and um, or donate and catch the whole thing. So yeah, it's, uh, it should be good. I'm looking forward to catching some of those. Anything, anyone, any in particular one you guys are looking forward to? Lindsay Deleron's Gemini. Totally. I think, yeah, beautiful and really interesting and was actually um, purposely shot for Uno Fest when once they went online so it's one of those it's not archival footage being pieced together not that there's anything wrong with that but as we were talking about with atomic vaudeville actually um, designing something to be consumed this way uh, has a, a different impact slightly different impact so i think that it'll be she shot it in her backyard with a campfire so <laughs> i'm really i saw a workshop of uh, isaiah bell's uh, book of my shames uh, previously uh, directed by local uh, Sean Geist. Uh, and uh, it'll be interesting to see how that translates as well, because I think it is the kind of show that can work very much in this medium. Uh, it's a very personal, very intimate show. And I think it'll work well uh, being dropped online. I'm interested uh, I did get to check that. out uh, Kunji Akira's uh, Sansei the Storyteller when, uh, in Calgary uh, before it came to Uno Fest. Uh, I understand that this will be archival footage, which is a bit of a shame, um, but it's an absolutely terrific show. It's so important for Asian Canadians, so I relate to it very strongly. Um, it talks about his personal connection with the period of internment. Um, it talks in general about how he has sort of like forged his identity coming out of that experience. So it's an absolutely wonderful show uh, that I highly think, you know, most people should check out if only because it's a period of our history that all too often we kind of brush over. Now, I'm interested to see what the um, audience participation will look like in Asses Masses. How do they do audience participation in this fashion? I don't know. Yeah, well, the, the blurb describes it as a like a form of a video game controlled by the audience members. <laughs> so I don't know if it'll be something like what Netflix did with their interactive stuff. I'll admit I've never really looked into that, but it's still interesting to see what it'll look like in a form that I think might be more open to audience participation. I don't know. Well, yeah, because even talking about like with, with uh, streamers, like stuff on Twitch, uh, a lot of people are enthusiastic to participate in the audience in a way, so to speak. 
Uh, Impulse Theater is doing their next peak show. They're going to be doing that online at the end of May. So that's coming up as well. And actually, if you haven't tuned in, we talked about scam, but uh, they're releasing daily briefings. They have a really strong kids program, kids creation program, and artistic director Matthew Pang's um, son Mo is is doing daily briefings. Kind of, I wouldn't say lampooning, but in the style of Justin Trudeau's daily briefings, but through a seven-year-old's voice. There's a lot of hand washing, but a lot of little surprises in them too. So it's this kind of sweet little daily hit of, um, of whimsy that I've really been enjoying from Theater Scam. Uh, another local company to keep an eye on is Collectivist Theater. They're doing, uh, I think it's twice weekly now, they're doing um, live online. Uh, it's a little bit of everything, uh, some play reading, some storytelling, some songs. Uh, Collectivists are the folks who brought a summer bucket list to the fringe last year. So that's pretty great. And if people want to get a touch of the fringe, there is a digital fringe that's out there where they do have recorded uh, archival performances and you can watch those. Um, Field Zoology from last year's fringe is one of them. TJ Dawes got a show up there as well. So I don't think there's any lack of content right now. Yeah, you can say that again. <laughs> so um, yeah, I think that's it for uh, this episode. So thanks everyone for joining us in this uh, very different format. Um, if you have any feedback, uh, or know of any other local stuff happening that we missed, uh, let us know, check the program yyj at gmail.com. We're on Facebook and Twitter, uh, check the program. Um, so we're going to keep trying to get together and chat about the arts and everything that's going on. Um, probably in this format for a little while. <laughs> um, so thanks again for listening. Um, until next time, I'm Amanda Farrell-Lowe. I'm John Threlfall. I'm Brianna Bach. I'm Tim Ford. I'm Melanie Trump-Hoover. I'm Sarah Petrescu. And don't forget to check, check the, the program. program. The greatest show. The greatest show you know. The program. Check the program. Check the program. It's called Check the Program. Check the program. Yeah. Check the program. The greatest show that you know. Victoria. Check the program. Check the program. Yeah.